Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast, the show that takes a light-hearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Batchley. And Aaron, guess what? This is road trip number 75. We made it. Wow, you always knew we'd get this far. I, I, I wasn't so sure, but you called this. So congratulations to both of us. Yes, to congratulations. You so let's crack the uh, virtual champagne here and and uh, raise a glass. But 75. So to celebrate, we're going to do something a little bit different today, folks. We are going to focus on four musicians' birthdays who were born this week in rock and roll history. And I think you'll find it fascinating, and I think you might laugh a little bit too, and learn something along the way. So buckle up, because this is episode 75. So one of the birthdays we're going to celebrate is someone who I have a a, a deep admiration for, Joni Mitchell. Now, Joni is turning 78 this year. And Tony, you know, just for the record, people thought about 2015 when she had her brain aneurysm that we would never, you know, hear from her again professionally. And we are. She just sold out two shows uh, in 2023 in about five minutes because, you know, people are dying to see her live. Isn't that incredible? It is incredible. And you know how I feel about Joni Mitchell as well. I I love the woman and nothing but admiration and, and respect for her as an artist. The things that she's done and her ability as a wordsmith is absolutely incredible. Um, her musical abilities, you know, folks, today is not going to be as structured as our episodes normally are. We picked these four birthdays and we thought we'd just chat a little bit about what, what these artists maybe mean to us and our impressions of them. So very excited about the shows that she's doing, Aaron. That is amazing. And that's in June, 2023, right? Yeah. And I just want to correct you on one thing, Tony, I don't do impressions. Um, <laughs> I could do Neil Young, maybe, maybe Neil Young, maybe, but I can't do Tony. Yeah, I, I would can, think you're a big fan of. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say I can do a pretty good Bob Dylan. You know that, yeah. <laughs> I, and Paul McCartney, and a Paul McCartney you did a good Paul McCartney. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Tony, I thought you'd be a fan of Joni Mitchell too because she combines folk and jazz. I mean, some of her albums. Oh, yeah. Certainly in the 70s were pure jazz, weren't they? Well, absolutely. She worked with some incredible jazz musicians. And, you know, I read somewhere that she had something like 74 different tunings that she used on her guitars. And she used to have to have somebody, like she had a book that she wrote all these tunings in, but she had a guy who was in charge of knowing which tuning she was using for which song because she would forget after a little while and he'd have the guitar ready for her. But absolutely incredible player and and singer. And everybody admired her, didn't they? Like Hendrix loved Joni Mitchell. Oh, uh, I think everyone. Tony, it might be worth just a a very brief explanation for those who don't understand what you're talking about when you say different tunings, because that's that's a huge number of different tunings for one artist. So can you just give a brief explanation as to what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So your six string guitar, your standard tuning, right? You've got uh, E, A, D, G, B, and E going from your lowest string to your highest string. And so that's called standard tuning. Now, some songs do what's called drop D tuning. They will take the lowest E and drop it down to a D and it gives you a whole other series of voices and a whole uh, you know, a uh, different way to be able to play chords. You hear a lot, a lot of, uh, 
slide guitarists will use like drop tunings. But Joni used all kinds of them, 74 of them. I can only imagine. She must have had, I'm guessing, some banjo tunings in there. But she, nobody taught her to do that as far as I can tell. She just liked to experiment on the guitar. So absolutely incredible, isn't it? She's pretty, you know what? I, I actually saw her live. I went to a taping of, uh, do you remember Rita McNeil? I do, I do. And Joni was on. She was. And this was when she put out, I guess, one of her last albums and she performed live. But what was super, super cool was normally on the Rita McNeil show, she would do two or three songs, right? Mm-hmm. So Joni says, um, does anyone mind staying a bit late if we do a few songs that won't be on television? Nah, we'll be all right. We'll stay. <laughs> uh, let me think about that. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how much time do you need? That was, I think she was promoting her traveling. So that would have been 2002. That's how, how long. No, 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 no. It was Turbulent Indigo. That was back in 90s, 94. But it was so cool to see her live because I never thought I would see Joni Mitchell live. So, but yeah, she's a cruel lady. She is. And you remember last year in the news, uh, Jimi Hendrix had actually gone to a Joni Mitchell gig and recorded her and those tapes were found again, mm-hmm. weren't they? And, you know, there you go. You know, the, the guy who's widely considered to be the greatest rock and roll guitarist of all time, being a big Joni Mitchell fan. He was a big Joni Mitchell fan. And the thing about Hendrix, though, I just want to do a sidebar, is he was remarkably humble. And there was an interview in 1970 where someone said, you know, what's it like to be the greatest guitarist of all time? And Jimi oh, Hendrix yeah. said, I don't know. I don't know. You need to go ask Rory Gallagher, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Irish guitarist. Yeah, I remember hearing that interview. And that's yeah. Jimi Hendrix. I mean, he loved yeah, he loved Mitchell, and he and that uh, that's an incredible piece of history that Jimi Hendrix recorded, and it came out by the way. You can buy it on a yeah. CD or stream. Yeah, but you know, you talk to David Crosby, all those guys, you know, all the people living in Laurel Canyon, and and what they thought about uh, Joni Mitchell, and then you Carol King. Remember when she uh, recorded Tapestry, and Joni Mitchell is right next door working on Blue, like. What a double threat that was. And and so many collaborations. Like you said, she's worked with jazz people and she's worked with uh, a who's who in the in the rock and roll and folk world and just an overall incredible artist. Now I'm looking, you've you picked uh, an interesting chart here though for this one. You picked the top five albums from March 23rd, 1968. And that's because that was the date of her first album, wasn't it? It was. And I have a question before we do that, Tony. Maybe it's an unfair question, but I have to ask, do you have a favorite Joni Mitchell song? I've got lots of favorite <laughs> Joni Mitchell songs. Oh my gosh. Uh, the River, uh, I'm partial to that one. I'm partial. Mm. I love that one. You know, I, the title is escaping me. You know, Moons and Junes and Ferris Wheels. Both sides now. I love, love, love. Both sides now, yeah. Both sides now. Yeah. Do you? Do you have a favorite? I have a controversial favorite, okay. <laughs> of course, because I got to be controversial. It's it's a song called Chinese Cafe, okay, and she incorporates Unchained Melody in the song, and it's one of the most because she's writing about the past and sitting in this cafe when she was a teenager, listening to Unchained Melody, and it's just one of the most incredibly beautiful songs. And and uh, unfortunately, her stuff isn't on Spotify, mm-hmm. so. Maybe we'll play it on our radio show because it's a beautiful song. Well, you know what other song I love? Yeah. Well, you know, before we go to the charts, I was going to say the other song that I love, love, love of hers is California. Oh my gosh. What a awful blue. What a fantastic song. Well, we actually did a whole thing on blue on our other, we had a little thing on Spotify. We remember we did the whole thing on blue. It was great. I love that album. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. And so, like I said, folks, today's a little less structured, just listening to Aaron and I chat about these four artists. But yeah, let's go to this chart. So this is the top five albums from March 23rd, 1968. So hit us with number five. Mariah Carey. No, no, just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put the resist. bleep I'm gonna put the bleep noise over that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw yeah, I saw a funny meme today, but anyways. <laughs> you know, this is an interesting chart because when you look at the chart, it's all literally all over the place. And I think this oh, is nineteen sixty eight, folks. Yeah. So number five is um Bob Dylan, John Wesley Harding. Number four is the soundtrack to the graduate, which of course features Simon and Garfunkel. Number three, we mentioned this person already. Jimi Hendrix Experience, Access, Bold as Love. See, this is already, you got country folk, um, soundtrack, Hendrix, and then you get Aretha Franklin at number two with Lady Soul. Mm. And number one just made me giggle. Paul Muriat and his orchestra with Bloomin' Hits. Yeah, that's what you love is blue, right? That's just, yeah, that's a real mixed bag, but there you go, 68, I guess. You know, people were listening to all kinds of stuff. Well, it gives you an idea of what she would have been exposed to in 68, because this is what was on the radio. Now, we are going to take a quick breather, and then we are going to be right back, and we're going to be talking about another female artist. She was born on November 8th, 1949, slide guitarist extraordinaire Bonnie Raitt, but we'll be back in a moment. So we've got another birthday here, November the 8th, 1949, Bonnie Raitt. And are you a Bonnie Raitt fan? Because I know I sure am. I, I love her music. I love her. I think, yes, I am a fan. And um, and for, you know what? Linda, my daughter, saw Mark Knopfler just before she left New York. And guess who opened for Mark Knopfler? Oh, Bonnie opened for him? Yeah. Can you imagine that double bill? Bonnie Raitt and Mark Knopfler? Yeah. Wow. She is an incredible musician as well. Here's another one, you know. Back in 1970, she was playing with her brother Dave. He was a stand-up bass player. They were playing with Mississippi Fred McDowell at the Philadelphia Folk Festival. And they were opening for John Hammond at the Gaslight Cafe in New York. Uh, It was a Newsweek reporter who saw her and noticed her and began to spread the word about her, wasn't it? Yeah, and you know, record companies uh, perk their ears up when play, like magazines like Newsweek start writing about you. And and she signed with Warner Brothers, and right off the bat, she put out one hell of a debut album called Bonnie Raitt in 1971. Her cover of um, Angel of Montgomery, the John Prine song, probably is better than John Prine, and I I say that as a huge, huge John Prine fan. Mm-hmm. And she hasn't stopped. She just put a new album out what a month ago. Yeah. She's just still recording all the time. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, from all accounts, a lovely person, but a great guitar player. I love her playing as well. I just, and I love watching her live. I've never seen her live in person, but I've watched lots of live stuff, you know, online and uh, just love her style of playing. And, and she seems like a very humble person. I mean, I, I've never met her obviously, but that's my sense, you know? Yeah, every time I've seen her interviewed, she's and she's smart as a whip. But I agree with you. Everything I've read about her, she's got this kind streak to her. She's uh, just a, a lovely person. And did you know, Tony, that she has a one-of-a-kind guitar called Brownie? No. So what, what's the deal with Brownie? So it's a Fender Stratocaster, but that's the, the, the body of it. But it's also got a hybrid of other 
so 65 and 69 strats all kind of melded together. Oh, so it's like her own so, custom. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she probably made, she probably built it if I know her, you know? Yeah. Pretty and so, cool though, right? And so the name of the guitar, she's named it Brownie. Yeah. <laughs> and she's used it for every gig since 1969. Even, even today. Even today. That, she still, she still uses that guitar. Yeah. You know what? I like her even more now. That's very cool. <laughs> I mean, and you look at the awards, and she actually won a Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Guitar Museum in 2017. She's, you know, awarded the Billboard Women in Music Awards. I don't think she's in the in the America, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, though, which is, you know, typical, but sad. Yeah, exactly. If she's not, it's typical for sure. You know, she had a, a brush with some mainstream fame. Uh, do you remember when, let's give them something to talk about, uh, came out that that was probably that was her, huge. That was yeah, huge. that that I would that must have been her biggest hit. Eh? I would think that that period was the closest. Yeah, as a single and an album. Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking right now at the charts of her charts, and and that album made number one. Mm-hmm. And then the one about the um, I can't make you love me. Oh my that gosh, was number one too. So that was what a song that is. Eh? Yeah, her voice in that is second to none. Oh my gosh, I can't make you love me if you don't. Yeah, those lyrics are. <laughs> are just unbelievable. Yeah, she's she's uh she's phenomenal. Her voice, her guitar playing, her production. And again, the people she's played with. I mean, you're looking at people that she's played with such as, you know, Roy Orbison. Mm-hmm. She was at his uh, Black and White Night. Um she's played with Springsteen, she's played with, you know, Tom Waits, John Prine. Yeah. I mean, she's just been all over the place, right? Yeah, it's incredible. And like you said, she opened for Knopfler, so that's amazing. Let's take a look at your chart here. So you you went to her birth year, and why did you pick October the 29th, 1949? Is there a significance to that? Just there was the most, there was no chart okay. other than, like there was a chart. That, Billboard magazine used to skip weeks sometimes, and I don't okay. know why. I think maybe because of Halloween, but um, that was a joke. <laughs> so I went with the October 29th because maybe that's what her mother was listening to just before she went into labor. But uh, it's a, it's this, a hell of a chart. It is because this is about five years before Mr. Presley shook up the world. And so 1949 and what a list here. Uh, yeah, let's go over it. So what's on at number five? Okay. Do you know who Al Morgan is? I do. I do. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be full disclosure. I hadn't heard that name in probably 20 years until I did this chart, and it kind of all flooded back to me. He's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jealous Heart. Uh, number four was the Andrews Sisters. I love, do you know the three names? Uh, I don't remember the three names, but I wanted to say something about them in a minute. But what were their three names? Do you remember? Patty, Maxine, and Laverne. Oh, Okay. Um, they had, do you remember, we talked about this, I think on the show before pre rock and roll era, like the number of hits that they had a number of hits records was, you know, no pun, well, pun fully intended was off the charts. Like they had a ridiculous number <laughs> of, of hit records. I, I can't remember the numbers, but it was crazy. Oh yeah. They were the largest selling female band up until the Spice Girls. Wow. Uh, yeah. So up from up to 1990s, they were the biggest selling. Now, there aren't that many female bands, but when you think about it in the 40s and 50s, the you know the the, the Barry sisters and the mm-hmm. McGuire sisters and all that, but they were huge. And, and number four was I can dream, can't I? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that song. I love that song. Number three, Vic Damone, they're breaking my heart. Well, sorry, Vic. Number two, <laughs> uh, kind of a kind of a country and western song here. Jimmy Wakeley and Margaret Whitting with "Slipping Around." Okay, I don't know it's that one. Rather, it's a bit suggestive, if you ask me. Yeah. And number one, my mom's favorite singer, probably of all time. Okay. Um, and I grew up with Frankie Lane, Tony. Oh my gosh, Frankie Lane, Frankie Lane, Frankie Lane. That lucky old son. I love that song. Well, that's an yeah. See, there you go. Like we said before, we're we're five years before Elvis, and that's what people were listening to. And you know what, Aaron? That just goes to show you how disruptive. Elvis Presley was when he burst onto the scene, right? I mean, he just upset the apple cart in a, in a real big way. You know, it's kind of like, do you remember those stories, Tony, about when the talkies hit and all the silent film stars couldn't make the crossover into talkies and there was a whole new star system for people who in the talking films. I think rock and roll did the same thing mm-hmm. for music. Don't you? I mean, it's a good analogy, I think. Yeah. And, and you know what? And this, I'm just going to meander off topic. Well, it's not really off topic, but you reminded me of something is during the silent film era, music like theaters, uh, movie theaters were the biggest employers of musicians in North America. Every. Really? Yeah. By far, by far, because every theater had to have at least a piano player. And the larger theaters in the big cities would have an orchestra, right? It was so. If you, some of your theaters in Toronto, New York City, Chicago, would have a would have a full on orchestra in the theater during the silent films. There used to be a theater in Toronto. It's no longer here. My brother used to take me when I was a kid, and it had exactly what you're talking about. There was a little orchestra pit in front of the screen, mm-hmm. and they had a small orchestra. And he used to take me to see silent movies. Um, feature-length films, and they did it just like in the 20s or, or teens. They would have the movie, the live orchestra, popcorn was a nickel. It was great. It was, yeah. it was so, great. so and, great. And some of those films uh, obviously had you know a score, but some didn't, and it was just up to the musician, the piano player, the in-house piano player or organ player to, to go with what he or she was seeing on the screen. So it was an incredible job, but yeah, they were the biggest... Uh, biggest employer of musicians in North America. So it was a huge disruption uh, when talking films hit. Absolutely. You know, there you go. So that, so there's a lot of analogies there between the two, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Now we are going to take another break and we will be right back. But just a reminder, folks, that if you're listening to this podcast on your favorite podcast player, then you can check out a lot of this music we're talking about on the Spotify playlist that Aaron puts together every week. But this podcast is also on the radio. It's on Bombshell Radio on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you're listening to this on Bombshell, then stick around because we're going to be having the post-podcast show with some of the songs that we talked about today. But let's take a break and then we will be discussing a guy named Booker T. Jones, who was born on November 12th, 1944. We will be right back. And we are back. And Aaron, you know, on the break, we were just mentioning this, uh, our 75th birthday show here is a little less structured than normal, but actually uh, we're both kind of enjoying it, aren't we? It's just... A little more fun to to really relax when we're doing the episode here. 
Well, it feels like I'm just hanging out of your house and we're just talking music and we're going through record collections going, oh, let's put on some Booker T now, you know, <laughs> talking about Booker T and the MGs, you know, that kind of thing. So it feels more like that, just kind of hanging out. Yeah, it's good for a change, right? Absolutely. So uh, November 12th, 1944, Booker T. Jones uh, came into the world. He was named after uh, Booker T. Washington, the famous educator, born in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, He was one of those guys, Aaron, who was incredibly gifted early on, played every instrument, you name it, actually made his professional debut while he was a high school student, get this, playing baritone saxophone for Carla and Rufus Thomas. So we know Booker T now as a as an organist, right? Plays rock organ, jazz organ. But he started at 16 playing the baritone saxophone, could play everything. He played uh, guitar on other people's albums, but he formed Booker T and the MGs in 1962. And their big smash, of course, was Green Onions. And that was a massive hit in 1962. I'm just going to give you a little Green Onions anecdote, Aaron. When I Uh, was building the music program when I was teaching and I wanted to get a jazz band uh, going. The very first song we ever did was Green Onions because it wasn't that tough to play and it just hooked the kids in right away. And then I I just started pulling out a bunch of Motown stuff to go with that. And uh, within no time, I had a a great band going, you know, but uh, they loved it. But Green Onions was our first one that we ever played. I still remember that clear as day. Uh, what else can you say about uh, Booker T, though? Like, this guy, what a resume. Well, first of all, that's pretty cool. That's a good way to start off a, a, a stage band or a big band, whatever, yeah. you, stage band, right? Yeah. Well, I, you know what? There's a connection between Booker T and the Beatles. Did you know that? Well, I'm, I imagine there there must be in some capacity, but what is the connection? I don't know what it is off. John Lennon was a huge fan of Booker T and the MGs. And for one song on Walls and Bridges, the song is credited to Dr. Winston O'Boogie. Which is and Lennon, the Booker right? T- That's John Lennon. Yeah. And the Booker Table and the Maitre D's. <laughs> it's on an instrumental called Beef Jerky. It's an instrumental song, one of the few instrumentals that Lennon released in his lifetime. But even cooler was that in 1970, so go back to 1970, Booker T and the MGs recorded an album called McLemore Avenue. And the cover is them walking across McLemore Avenue, oh, like so, Abbey Road. Okay, and they very did, cool. Yeah, yeah, and they did most of Abbey Road on that album. Now, I'm just going to tell people, because Aaron and I are talking through a virtual connection here, I can see your cat behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what it was. I, I thought at first it was an arm or something. And is that, is, I thought, is that Andrea waving at me or something? Like just being. No, it's my cat. She's, 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 she's demanding of attention. Let me tell you about that. So, anyways, Aaron's cat is right behind his head, and uh, I see the tail going. <laughs> And if you hear any Lloyd like like rumblings, that's her purring, folks. It's not me. It's, it's her. Trust it's me, not Aaron's stomach. He has had dinner. Exactly. If I supper, if I supper. So uh, yeah, he was. Uh, you know, he worked for Stax Records, and he was working for Stax Records when he was in high school. Um, but he ended up leaving Stax because he felt like the MGs were treated as employees and not musicians. And so they ended up leaving, but they still had to, he went to California. They still had to do another album for Stax, but he just didn't like the way that his band was treated. And uh, 
you know, so good for him for taking his stand, don't you think? I love those stories because he was. He, he was, they were treating him like a session musician and rightfully so in some ways because he's a brilliant session musician, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have his own career. And let's face it, there was a lot of hits by Booker T and the MGs for stick for sticks for stacks sticks and stacks will break my bones. He did. <laughs> he 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 sold a lot of records for that label, and I'm I'm a big fan of Stacks. I mean, I think Stacks put out some incredible, just incredible music in the '60s and 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 well, the '50s and '40s too. But you look at the stuff that he put out as singles yeah. and the hits, like you know, Hole in the Wall and Groovin and. Um, Soul Limbo, Time is Tight, one of my favorite songs. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah. Oh, it's just brilliant, right? And, and that were all those, those are all Stax recordings. Um, so yeah, it, it made sense. He went to Asylum Records, which I thought was kind of symbolic. Um, <laughs> but he's he's kind of a cool. I, I love Booker T and the MGs. I oh, just love them. Yeah, so me much. too. And there's a Neil Young connection because we're going to be talking about Neil uh, as our final birthday boy. But he had a solo album, uh, Booker T did, uh, Booker T. Jones, in 2009, and it was called Potato Hole, and that album featured Neil Young on it. So there's a little connection there as well. You know, you never can tell about Mr. Neil Young. He just pops up in the strangest of places. (laughs) Yes, he absolutely does. Now, we, uh, I love this chart that you put together here. This is the Harlem Hit Parade, the top five. Uh, So November the 11th, 1944, and this is a great chart like the, all of this is great music oh and i love the name the harlem hit parade top five yeah it's um i i I'd stumbled upon it i was going through billboard magazine and i never noticed that before but there it was so number five is benny carter i'm lost number four oh this is such a great song lionel hampton with hamps boogie woogie <laughs> do you know do you know why i'm laughing right now do you know i'm thinking of sctv do you remember that yeah. schmangy brothers documentary when they're talking yeah, I, about I, lutonia and the only music that anybody listened to was lionel hampton do you remember that <laughs> see i was giggling i was giggling because of that too because you, you were sending me sctv stuff and and that reminded me so i'm doing the chart of thinking oh my gosh can i, get, can I say lionel hampton without laughing and i did you know with, you know so, Number three, I, I don't know why they, Cootie Williams. Why want to change that name? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love this title, Cherry Red Blues. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, number two, The Ink Spots with Ella Fitzgerald. Into each life, rain must fall. And number one, King Cole Trio. Isn't that cool? King Cole Trio. Yeah. And I love this title. Gee, baby, ain't I good to you? Yeah, that's love a, that, that title. It's a fantastic song. This chart. <laughs> is fantastic like this is one of the strongest charts we've ever had on this show actually you know these are all great tunes i was thinking for our post show we should just play all five of these songs because i love (laughs) all five of them i do i was i did the spotify playlist i thought these songs are so good i haven't heard these king cold trio i'm a big fan of so that yeah i love those yeah so maybe in the post podcast show we'll kick it old school and and put on this stuff yeah And some Schmangy Brothers. That's right. So we'll take a quick break again, and uh, we'll do our radio ID for the Bombshell Radio listeners, and we'll be right back, and we'll be talking about Neil Young. So there's so much, so, so much to say about Mr. Neil Young. Uh, First of all, let's start off with, I'm a huge fan. Same here, same here. I'm also... In awe, in awe, in awe of the fact that this guy, in his career, 
has released 44 studio <laughs> oh, albums, God. 12 yeah. live albums, three albums with Tr- Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. I mean, and he's he's continually putting out live albums. I mean, if you look at his discography, it's and he's he's putting out new studio albums. He has a new album coming out November the eighteenth called World Record with Crazy Horse. He put out Barn, yeah, whew, last December, I guess. Yeah, he um, he's 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 amazing. And do you know the funny thing is, they're all good. Oh yeah, his stuff is fantastic. And you know the other thing is, if all he did was the stuff that he did with Buffalo Springfield. That oh, would, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. That, that'd be a good run for anybody else, right? You combine what he did with uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young with Buffalo Springfield. You've got a fantastic run. And then he's got this amazing solo career after that. So he's, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. 1995 got in as a solo artist and 97 uh, with Buffalo Springfield. But he's from Toronto. His dad was a journalist and novelist, which you can see then where uh, Neil gets his ability to craft words because I, I love his lyrics too. Just like Joni Mitchell, you know, or someone like Gordon Lightfoot or that whole generation of people. Well, there's, there, I put him in the same category. There's Ian Tyson, Gordon Lightfoot, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell, or 60. Man, and I'm going to throw in Murray McLaughlin mm-hmm. because he, was, he got started around the same time as Neil went solo. And um, Murray McLaughlin often talks about going down to the riverboat in, in Yorkville when it was cool and sitting on the floor and listening to Neil Young and, and watching Joni Mitchell and, and hearing Phil Oaks or Gordon Lightfoot. And Dylan even played the riverboat. I mean, this was, a, this was an incredible time. I mean, New York had Greenwich Village and we had Yorkville and uh, we being Toronto. And of course, unlike New York, we destroyed Yorkville. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even afford to park there. Never mind shop. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, it's, it's he, but he, Neil Young, I, you know, when I was doing the discography, I totally forgot about Buffalo Springfield and that's another five albums. And he's never been shy of courting controversy. He's taken his stuff off Spotify yep. and agree with him or not. He doesn't care. He's just going to do what he feels right. You know? No. And his archives, that website, we talk about that all the time. You can go into the Neil Young archives and, and poke oh. around. It is so fun. And uh, we should, uh, Aaron, in the show notes this week, we should put the website address for that because it is a fascinating place to get lost for an hour or two. It's amazing. Yeah, I'll do that when I when I do the show notes. I'll put the, I'll put a link because it is an incredible place to go. It's just it's you know, and he's just he's he's an incredible incredible artist, and uh, I, you know, I, he's one of those artists that frustrates me because people don't listen to anything recent by him. But he put an album out a few years ago. And if you have an hour and a half and you're not doing anything, watch the video or the DVD for Greendale. Now, this was a, a concept album about a small town, how they're impacted by big business. And the whole stage show is set up as Neil's watching TV as the news unfolds. It's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is just an, an incredible artist. And I, I've fell in love with Greendale. It's one of my favorite albums by him. But, you know, people kind of stopped at um, – harvest moon but you know whatever but it's it's a shame because he's still putting out uh in my opinion anyways quality music yep and then i i agree 100 percent with what you're saying there and you know he's also had some iconic live performances i was just thinking do you remember the saturday night live rocket in the free world performance which one of one of the all-time great performances on that show so many 
wonderful live performances. But you picked his top five best-selling albums. So Neil Young's top five best-selling albums. And I mean, you know, 44 albums to choose from. So what were the top five? And these are just by sales. And and um, before we go on to the top five selling Neil Young albums, if you ever get a chance, Tony, and maybe next time you're over, because I, I have a DVD player still, I'll show it to you. It's called Neil Young Journeys, okay. where he's with his brother, and they drive from Omimi. Uh, oh, I've in, seen in clips of that, like little clips. Yeah. It's so good. It's well worth watching. It's just very heartwarming. So I don't know that any of these would be a surprise to anyone, but here's the top five best-selling Neil Young albums. Number five was Decade, which is from came out in 77, sold 1.4 million. Harvest Moon, that was huge in 1992. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Well, and the title track, right? Uh, do you remember how popular that title track was and weddings and everything else were using that song? Oh. I, I love that song, by the way. And, and, and beautiful video, a lovely video for it. Yeah. That, that sold 2.7 million. Greatest Hits, which came out in 2004, 2.8 million. Number two, any surprise here, After the Gold Rush with yeah. Crazy Horse, 1970, 3.4. And his biggest selling album of all time. And Tony, for those of you who are fans of this album, keep a lookout because there's a box set coming out with all sorts of goodies. Uh, Harvest from 1972, 8.5 million. But this box set promises to be I think something very special, lots of outtakes. And, and because this guy's archives are so complete, this will be a remarkable box set. Trust me on this one. And now, Aaron, normally we take a break before we do our uh, From Memphis to Merseyside moment. But right now, I think we should go straight into it. So, you know, we're trying to find a connection here between what we're talking about and the Beatles. As well, It's either the Beatles or Elvis. But today we've got a Beatles one. And this is uh, November 12th, a really cool connection so what happened on november 12th well i forgot to put the year isn't that funny but it's (laughs) it's over 100 years ago abbey road studios 102 years ago abbey road studios opened the doors for business that's at st john's wood london and this is a studio that was built for orchestras and um one in particular um and i'm just I'm drawing a blank, but you know, this was a, an important day in history because it is one of those studios that's iconic. People know it, you know, it's just one of those things that we had to talk about. And it's, it's, um, it's, a, I, I've, I've been on the outside of it. I've never toured the inside, which I really would like to one day, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, what can I say? Right. One day, one day. That's where all the magic happened, right? With the Beatles. I mean, yeah. Well, the funny story is that, um, Oh, well, two weeks ago, my daughter was in London. And there's a website you can go to and you can watch the crossing 24 hours a day. Oh. And I got to watch her cross Abbey Road. I'm in Toronto. She's in London. I just put on the website and there she was running across. Yeah. And I wonder <laughs> if it must be going on all the time, right? That that famous cross. 24 hours a day. Yeah. 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 So very famous studio. I thought, well, we'll pay tribute to the, the studio itself turning, uh, you know, 103 years old, 102, I should say. It's in a beautiful area of London. What can I, what can I tell you? It's just history, right? Yeah. And, and you know what, Aaron? Uh, we're at the end here. We've come to the end of our 75th episode. And this was really nice. It was actually really refreshing to, uh, you know, uh, set the structure aside today and just have a chat. I feel like one of those fireside chats they used to do on SCTV with uh, Mayor Tommy <laughs> Shanks there. <laughs> hey, how you doing? How you doing? <laughs> but uh, this was really nice. And... For our radio listeners, stick around. We're going to do the podcast post show. And like I said earlier, though, uh, for 
podcast player uh, listeners, you can just check out the Spotify playlist. But we should thank Rick Denis for providing the music today, as always. And of course, uh, we wouldn't be doing this if nobody was listening. So we have to thank you, our listeners. We always are so grateful that you let us into your headphones. And, you know, the slow and steady progress that our show is making is is all because of you. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for uh, tuning in every week. We really appreciate it. And Aaron, happy 75th, my friend. This was amazing. Yeah, I don't feel a day over 74. <laughs> no, I agree. It's been a fun ride, Tony. And we and we just, in my opinion, we have 75 at least more to go. So we're good. Uh, that sounds good to me too. So folks, we will see you next time. <laughs>